This is the Robert's Wish Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on the Robert Swish podcast. We're very excited to have you join us. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. It's uh, It's been a long time coming. <laughs> Definitely. So as you know, on the podcast, we generally you know, want to talk to uh, different people about, about bullying, their experiences with bullying, and, and have a general conversation with them about the topic. So um, Mike, would you mind talking to us and telling us a little bit more about your experience with bullying? Starting from back when I was in school, I got bullied in the classroom. Weirdly enough, because of my name, mostly, you know, I was it was all the schoolyard stuff that you experience. I was called posh when I lived in the Midlands, and then I was called common when I lived in the South. And I never really like fitted into the stereotypes that kids like to sort of box you into. And so, because of that, I think that generated a lot of dissonance in uh, in their minds. And so the way that they accounted for that was bullying, ultimately. In school, I went to a couple of different schools because I've lived up and down the country. I've moved around about 20 to 23 times in you know my 27 years. So living in a lot of different places, kind of, you never really have a sense of identity for a specific place. And I think that came through in both my accent when I was in school um, and now even, um, but also it sort of, um, well, it affected some of the ways that people would interact with me because I was never really too familiar in the schools that I was in. So with that in mind, um, I went to a very small um, Roman Catholic school, which was like in the middle of a tiny village uh, in the Midlands. And during my time there, I was I was one of these kids who, you know, I really just enjoyed getting kind of stuck into work. You know, I'd always do the best that I could. The teachers really liked me, or so I'm led to believe. Um, and basically, during that time, the other kids who either weren't doing as well, or maybe were even a little bit jealous, I have no idea. I never really asked them. I'd love to, but not maybe not on this podcast. Um, I never really, like... Oh, well, sorry, they ended up like having this sort of malcontent towards me. Um, and what that manifested in is like, you know, in the playground being pushed and stuff like that. I got strangled by a kid once, you know, there's some serious stuff that ended up going on. Eventually, you know, I, I started talking to teachers about this and I started talking to um, my parents about this. We had a couple of meetings with the school and it was back in the, well, this was, must have been back in like the late 90s, early 2000s. So, because bullying kind of strategies, you know, everyone was saying we're anti-bullying. A lot of people say we're anti-bullying and they have that as a policy. But back in that period, there weren't really any set um, parameters for things that they would do to prevent bullying. There weren't really any fixed strategies. There weren't really any, um, you know, there wasn't really anything that was put in place that would stop bullying. It was just generally accepted that it was a bad thing. And, you know, we won't stand for it. Um, so after all of these conversations that I had with my teachers, et cetera, et cetera, nothing really happened and nothing really changed. Um, and so I carried on getting pushed and pulled and like even socially isolated from some groups, um, back, uh, this is, like I said, back during school. Um, and that actually led me to move around between some schools because, uh, I really didn't get on with people. And when I was making the choice after I, um, moved into another school, I could have gone to the local grammar school that a lot of my peers went to when I was looking at going to secondary school, this is. And um, 
I chose not to because the grammar school was where all the bullies went and I didn't want to be associated with them. And my mum at the time was of the opinion that, you know, this may have an impact on my education, but I should do what's best for me. And she didn't want to see me sacrifice my social life for the purposes of potentially having a better education, if that makes sense. Um, and so with that in mind, I ended up going to another secondary school um, in a similar area. Obviously, you know, I'm <laughs> I'm censoring the areas that I'm living in for obvious reasons. Um, but yeah, so when I went to that secondary school, the, the second one that I uh, decided to go to, um, things were a lot better. <clears throat> and for a long, long time, I sort of found my place because a lot of the kids that I'd gone to school in the primary school kind of went there. Um, and all of the bullies that I'd had had gone to the other school. And so things were pretty great, actually, through year seven, I had a brilliant time. Um, but then towards like years eight and nine, I uh, ended up getting into a couple of particular kids' bad books, I think. Um, and what that led to was then a series of sort of more targeted bullying. So whereas in the previous school, things have been a lot more general and very sort of, you know what I mean when I say schoolyard, you know, it was like pushing and pulling and blah, blah, blah. Well, in the secondary school, it became a lot more targeted in so much as it was less about physical stuff and more about emotional bullying. Um, speaking as a psychologist, I, I've got a couple of degrees in psychology, so let's use a little bit of my education. The way that I rationalize this post hoc is that they um, were from a seemingly an, a less privileged group of people who weren't doing as well in terms of their educational and academic prowess as I was. And you could, uh, you could possibly rationalize it as a form of jealousy. But the way that I saw it at the time was actually, I was just a, a scared young man. I mean, I was in year seven, so I would have been about, what, 13, I think. Um, and also at the time, I mean, I'm six foot one now, but at the time I was one of the smallest kids in my year group. Um, so I was relatively easy to pick on. Um, and what that meant was the bullying sort of escalated. So it started out a snide remark. So then it was kind of like little uh, jabs while we're in the corridor, not physically. I mean, like, uh, you know, speaking and saying nasty things. Um, and that escalated all the way up to uh, the crux of what I think was a big cornerstone in my own um, my own life, which was where I decided enough was enough. It was a cold winter's day in the centre of England, the Midlands, some call it. And what happened was I was on my way back from a PE class. And in the changing rooms that day, um, there wasn't enough room for me to really get changed. So I'd taken my stuff into the nearby music block, which was just down the road from uh, where I was. Um, so I went in there and I went into um, the toilets that they have. And there are three cubicles in the toilets. There's two where the doors open inwards. And there's one disabled toilet, which is much larger, where the um, door opened outwards, obviously, to allow ease of access for people with wheelchairs. Um, and so what happened was I had shut myself into the, um, the larger uh, disabled toilet so that I could get changed. I wasn't going to be in there very long. And uh, there were few, very few people who actually had particular use of that uh, facility at the time. So I figured that it would be okay. The two bullies that particularly liked to pick on me then came in after me. And uh, even though the door was locked, they tried to get access to where I was while I was changing. You know, they were shouting things through the, through the door, which weren't particularly nice. 
then they decided that because I wasn't giving them anything, I, I just totally ignored them. I was so used to this by now that I'd sort of learned kind of how to deal with it a little bit more how to survive than how to stop it. Um, and so they decided to change their strategy and hold the door shut. Now, when that happened, I realized that there was only really two ways out of this situation. Um, route number one, after I'd finished changing, obviously, route number one was to wait it out and was to literally just, you know, either try and plead my way out or to um, succumb to them in such a way that they would then leave me alone. Option two was to brute force my way out, uh, whereby I could obviously gain a little bit more control over the situation. Um, and I think what I can't remember what went through my mind during this decision making process, but I decided that option two was the far superior option. Um, so 14 year old me, yeah, it was year eight. So about 14 year old me decided that what I was going to do was use my knowledge, my limited knowledge of physics, work out where the pivot point on the door was going to be open the lock as quickly as I could so that they wouldn't even know what had happened and kick through the door. So that's exactly what happened. <laughs> um, these two lads on the other side went flying across the toilet into the other side, the far wall. And I knew that this was my one moment to make some kind of badass comment. And so I remember straightening up my blazer and my tie, looking at them sort of strewn in various states of disarray um, on the side of the, the sinks that were opposite the toilet, saying, gentlemen, and walking out. And at that point, they never bothered me again. Wow. I'm speechless at that story. I think that the level of, of bullying that you went through, you know, from primary school from the strangling being strangled and um you know the the playground antics to the more emotional and and being in that situation where these two boys are trying to get into um to harass you um i can't even imagine how that must have felt but really happy to hear that you um you know in, in what you did and, and how that actually stopped them bullying you going forward Obviously, my mum had been talking to me about this for years. And eventually, you know, we're talking like more into the 2000s now. So actual bullying strategies were sort of starting to come a little bit more into the frame. And what that meant was that, you know, people were kind of trying to, uh, I mean, I don't know what the term that they used was, but essentially empower the victim is, is what they were trying to do. Um, and I think at some point, this must have sunk in, which is why I kicked the door through. I still can't believe I did this even today. Um, but yeah, and from that point, that show of authority left these guys in a state of total disarray because it wasn't about fear at that point. I think it was more about a mutual respect. And they learned that there was a tipping point at which I wouldn't accept it anymore. Um, and once we pushed through that tipping point, they did then try to, I mean, they did try to make one more attempt um, to sort of manipulate me, which was they found me afterwards, obviously, because I, well, as you can imagine, they were quite annoyed. Um, and they found me and they tried to offer their hand to me and say, you know, well done, we respect you for that. And they, you know, tried to shake my hand, which I refused outrightly. Um, and by this point, I'd found a group of my friends and, you know, we were all sort of together and I'd explained what had happened, I think, in either some major or minor detail. And, um, yeah, they extended their hands to me um, as some sort of power play, which I then declined absolutely. 
And after that, they ran off shouting and swearing and what have you. And I, yeah, I never really heard from them again. Um, so, I mean, the moral of what I took away from that isn't that brutality and brute force is the way to defeat a bully. It's actually more that you have to be able to show them that enough is enough. And there is a point that you stop accepting that this is okay and start start saying to yourself, you know, my mantra that I've held from that point onwards, I can't remember who originally said it, and maybe I'm paraphrasing a little bit, um, is that evil only triumphs when good people stop taking action. And that's basically what I've stuck to throughout the rest of my, not only my career, but my life. I realize that sounds quite grandiose, but it's true. I love that mantra. I think it's a it's a brilliant mantra to have, and and um, one that a lot of uh, a lot of people can 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 take a lot from. Um, to be honest, um, you know, obviously I'm I'm um, you know what you went through and and how you've come through it, and you know, listening to how you can talk about it today, I think it's extraordinary um, because unfortunately, in a lot of cases, um, you know, the, those the victims of bullying um, don't don't get to that point of of that that tipping point. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes on and, and they, they suffer for, for a prolonged amount of time. And, and this actually follows them into adulthood uh, in many cases. So, um, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, what you, what you went through and, and how you've come through it is, uh, is fantastic. So, um, your, your attitude is very positive. And I think that there's a lot of people out there that are going through, um, similar challenges with being bullied can take a lot from, uh, a lot from your, your story, um, and your experience, um, and it can really help them. So, um, I think that's a very positive, a very positive thing. Well, thank you. And um, I really hope so. And like I say, the, the one message that I, for people listening to this, no matter what age you are, um, is that, you know, it's all about empowerment. And as I understand it, that's sort of what the Robert Swish Foundation or charity does. You know, your, your um, MO is to empower people who are victimized or are being challenged by bullies. And I think that given the experience that I've gone through, but in general, that's so unbelievably important, um, that that level of empowerment. We have previously spoken about your experiences with bullying, and I'd, I'd like to touch on a little bit about your experiences when you, you were a little bit older and the bullying that you, um, that you experienced, perhaps late teens, early on in your work career, perhaps, um, that I understand you experienced. Would you mind talking us through a little bit about the bullying that you experienced through work? There were two main incidences of this that I experienced. Um, the first one was actually when I first moved to London and I was working for a, uh, a small agency. Um, it was one of the first jobs that I'd got where I could actually use my degree. Um, so I was very happy to sort of, you know, get going with it and everything. Um, and then the second experience was a little bit further down the line, but I'm told that the beginning is a very good place to start. So I'll start from there. Um, basically, I started in this agency and it, was, uh, it wasn't quite a boutique. I don't know if that means anything to you, but it was a small agency. It's what people tend to describe as an SME. I think that there was a roundabout when I joined, there was around about 100 people working for the company. And then that then expanded to about 200-ish by the time that I'd finished working there. Um, so it was in a, a state of very rapid expansion. And um, while I was there, I had an excellent line manager. Um, and I made some really great friends there that I still am in contact with today. This was a few years ago now. Um, 
And the whole place in the beginning stages was very welcoming, was very positive. You know, there was a lot of there was a lot of good energy there that you could really draw on. And the work was hard, but ultimately it was very rewarding as well, um, because at the end of, you know, when you'd done something particularly well, everyone would go down to the pub and celebrate. Or, you know, if you'd gotten to the end of a particularly bad period, you know, when work just really gets on top of you, there was always someone there to cheer you up or pick you up and be like, you know what, it's fine you know you can get through this which was amazing um and then about halfway through my time there i wasn't there for very long um for reasons that will probably be quite obvious when i uh, tell the rest of this story i started to i changed seats basically i so it was an open plan office and uh you everyone could see everyone um and what that meant is that the uh management structure was very flat so there were directors who'd be sat next to um, executives who'd be sat next to, uh, you know, the IT teams who'd be sat next to graduates or whatever. Um, and I got moved a uh, position away from where my then friends were over into uh, another part of the office where more senior people were. So there were some managers there, there were some associate directors there, and there were some directors and the um, the person that I'm going to tell this story about was actually one of the directors. So this is um, this is bullying from quite far up the chain, um, which I I hope that no one listening to this ends up going through, um, because I remember when it was happening, I felt particularly hopeless, and I'm very thankful that I had the friends around me that I did to be able to sort of pull me through. Um, but essentially, it wasn't anything physical. Let me start off with that. It was all very much verbal and psychological. Um, so what would happen is I would write a report, which I would then have to submit to this particular director. And this director was responsible for a lot of the reports that I wrote. He was the final sign-off, uh, and also he ended up being uh, on pretty much all of the project teams that I worked on across accounts. So even working with different clients, I would still be reporting to him ultimately. Um, I realized that he was a very, um, what I'm going to describe as laddish person from the moment that I met him. You know, he's very outgoing. He had the haircut that most millennials tend to have at the moment, you know, the slick back with the shaved sides, um, which is pretty long. And he always used to um, make sure that he I think he always took pride in his appearance. So he always made sure he looked his best when he was walking around the office. Um, and while um, while I was working with him, he was very vocal about the way that he liked things done to the point where one of the managers that I ended up working with actually at one point took me to one side after work and gave me a, a lessons of life speech about this particular director and how to work with them because he was notorious for the way that he worked with people seemingly. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the film Layer Cake, but essentially it felt like the end scene with Michael Gambon. I won't spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it, but that's the kind of mind frame that I was in. Um, and so the, the way that it all began was very subtle at first and then built up. So what would happen is I would do things like submit a questionnaire to him or I'd... Um, maybe hand in a report of some description or uh, something like that. And he would make little snarky remarks about the way that I'd done things, not even necessarily related to the work that I'd done, but just snarky remarks. 
then over a period of time, he belittled every piece of work that I produced for him to the point where my line manager um, stepped in, not in any kind of overt way, but to try and shield me from him and so that I could actually get feedback that would then allow me to progress because the responses that he was giving me to the work that I was doing wasn't anything constructive. It wasn't a, um, you know, if you do this, this will be better next time or here's something to consider for the future. It was like, that's bad, that's bad, change that. You know, just things that you can't action, things that you can't do anything about that then make you feel bad and you take that home with you. That is the worst part. It's not about the remark. It's not about the fact that he was a, a word I can't use on this podcast. It was the fact that he um, belittled me to the point where I started doubting myself and then I took that home. And taking that home and trying to go to sleep or spending sleepless nights wondering if you're actually worth the salary that they're paying you is a horrible feeling. Um so if this would have stayed in the office, it would have been so much better. But by that point, I was starting to question if I could actually do my job. I was considering resigning and moving into something totally different. And I didn't believe in myself at all. Um, in fact, suffice to say, if um, the guys who I was with, the, the friends of mine that I was referring to, and my line manager didn't step in, chances are I would be in a much worse position than I'm in now, um, where I've actually continued down that line of work and I'm carrying on working in, in a different agency, um, but doing the same kind of stuff. Um, and I mean, the, the experiences that I got from that now looking back on it have empowered me to you know, recognize when things are going well and also to stop it happening to other people that I see it happening to. But going through it at the time felt like just it was just the worst. Um, just being given that feeling of uselessness is the word that I've always described it as, making you feel like you don't have a use, you know, so in the literal sense of the term, was always unbelievably difficult to uh, to um, rationalize. Or, and, you know, I just sort of took it into myself. I internalized it totally. And by the end of the time that I'd finished working there, the only thing that was keeping me going were the people around me because this director worked with me the entire time. The only compliment about my work I ever heard from him during my entire time that I spent there was on the day that I was about to leave where I wrote one last report and he said to me something along the lines of, this is probably the best work you've ever produced here. All of the rest of it was rubbish, but this was really good. That's shocking. As a as a director myself, I know exactly what um, you know. You and I work in the same industry. In fact, we work in the same company um, currently. I think that is absolutely appalling um, for a director who is someone who's supposed to develop and nurture and train junior staff members on on how to do things, um, on how to write reports, on on you know it needs to be an on the job learning experience. And for him to have um, behaved in such a way. Um, is is downright disgusting and uh, very unprofessional. Um, I wonder, you know, did did the company itself know um, that he was like this, or was it something that you know, um, you know, senior, more senior members of staff were not aware of? 
I believe that they knew what he was like, but I think that they sort of wrote off a lot of his behavior as, you know, oh, it's just banter. You know how people use the word banter sometimes to cover up really horrible stuff? Um, well, I think that in, in this case, they sort of wrote it off as that, you know, he's just being a bit of a lad. You know, he's just sort of, you know, don't take it personally. And I was a bit like, well, how can you not? You know, this is targeted and it's like, it's not even nicely targeted. It doesn't even feel like it's a joke that I'm part of. It feels like if it is a joke, it's totally at my expense and no one else is sort of in on it apart from you. Um, so yeah, it, it really felt like, although they were aware that he could be like this, they didn't really take any action. And plus we didn't have an HR department because the company was so small. Um, so all the people that I went to about support, about help, about whatever, didn't do anything. Well, I think that, you know, from what I'm hearing, the lack of an HR department, because obviously H HR's responsibility is, you know, to have these policies in place, to have the, the, the procedures in place when there is bullying or, or any other um, types of discrimination taking place in the workplace, that, that, that they are there to, to, to manage that and to, um, to deal with it. Um, the fact that there was no HR in this company and that, you know, the, the company themselves, the senior management, um, were essentially, you know, making excuses for this individual, I think is a is a common occurrence, I think, across um, across different companies, at least from what I've heard and from the, the different people that I've spoken to who have experienced, um, you know, in work bullying. Um it's it's something that um, I think uh, even in companies that have HR, I think it's something that they they struggle to um, identify and, and tend to, to to turn a blind eye to, um, which which again is it's not acceptable and it's something that uh, that definitely needs to change in a lot of corporate organisations today. Um, you mentioned that you um, the reason that you got through you know got through this um, is really about you know you, you had a very supportive line manager and you had good friends. You think that that you know that's very important is to have those those that support network essentially around you, giving you that positive um, that positive reinforcement and and essentially believing in yourself when when you particularly aren't, if you like. I would actually go one step further and argue that it's essential to have that support network around you. If I wouldn't have had those people, I would have lost all like sense of self. You know, I, I didn't believe in myself at all by the time I pretty much finished there. Um, and it was only them who kept me going and kept me, you know, continuing and trying and improving and, you know, all these sorts of things that I actually made it through. Um, because otherwise I would have just been totally lost at sea. Uh, it would have been a case of with no one to fall back on, it would have felt a much more lonelier place. And chances are I would have resigned a lot sooner and then just gone to nothing. And that would have uh, ultimately hampered a lot of things that were happening in my life at that point. It definitely sounds like it. I mean, I myself have been a victim of bullying in the workplace. And I can tell you it's it is, it is very difficult because as somebody who takes a lot of pride in the work that, you know, that we do, um, it's it's very difficult when you have a senior manager or or a director in this case, um, who, who you know, who who 
says some pretty, you know, demeaning and uh, not in not in a constructive way. I mean, my my boss at the time when I was in the US told me that, um, you know, I'm a South African born and bred. I've lived in the UK. I've lived in Geneva and I was in the US. Um, essentially told me that I needed to be rewired. I needed my brain rewired because I didn't think like a, an American. Um, and um, that wasn't good enough that I didn't think like an American. And, you know, that at the time for me was 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 quite shocking. Um, A, because I couldn't believe the words that were coming out of this person's mouth. How can you, how can you say that? And, and because it was something that was just very casually, um, casually said, um, and, and the, the bullying, you know, went on from there. I was, um, pressurized, you know, either you keep, you, you, you keep, if you want to keep your job, you need to do, uh, you know, you need to report back on, um, report back to me what this other senior, um, you know, this vice president at the time and the team was doing, what she wasn't doing, who she was talking to, how she was talking to them, what, you know, what time she came in, what time she left, um, you know, so it was my job or um, essentially um, snitching on somebody that I had a lot of respect for at the time. Uh, and I, I still do. She's a dear friend of mine because they wanted to fire her. It's a common, you know, a common thread. I had an incredible support network who were there, my, my friends, my family, um, who, who essentially helped me, um, you know, navigate this. And, and, you know, I was able to get out of that situation and into a much better environment in the company. Do you feel that without that support network, things would have been a lot different? Or how do you feel it would have impacted you if that uh, wasn't there? If the support network wasn't there, I would have been back in the UK um, a lot sooner than than I did come back. Um, and I would not be with, uh, you know, I would, I would have left the company. Um, and yes, it did have a detrimental impact on my confidence, which took some time to rebuild. But thankfully, um, thankfully, you know, it, it was able to, I was able to rebuild it through different, a different position. Um, but it did have an impact. And, and I myself as a, as a, as a senior member of, of the, the, the team in, in, in Geneva, in the US, in the UK, I see bullying taking place as particularly when I was in the US, you know, frequently, um, and it goes un, um, unreported, in, in a lot of cases, because the, the victim doesn't want to cause trouble or is, in, in fact, worried about their job. Uh, they don't want to lose their job. Um, and, and you see it completely, um, you know, destroy um, someone's confidence and, and you know, their, their self-esteem. Um, and this is why, you know, you know, we're, you know, at Robert's Wish, we're, we're huge um, advocates. Our, our mission is about supporting those people who are being bullied. It's not just about youth. Obviously, youth is a is a very big focus for us. It is something that we're very passionate on on empowering and 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 empowering and giving the skills and the tools for the for for youth to to deal with the bullying that they're experiencing at school. But it's also about looking at those who are, you know, older to, to adults in the workplace or even amongst friends. Um, who've been bullied amongst, you know, amongst their 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 friends their friend circle. Um, it's about giving them the skills and empowering them to um, to to deal with the bullying and to to not get to the point where it's it's having that detrimental impact on their self confidence on their self esteem. Um, because at the end of the day, you're being bullied because the bully themselves has got something. You know, there's something not quite right in the bully themselves' life, and they're you know. They're um, projecting their issues onto you, makes them feel better to see someone else um, upset. And, um, 
whether it's workplace, whether it's school, whether it's friends, bullying is bullying. I can totally agree with that. Thankfully, you know, there are companies out there that do have very stringent um, anti-bullying policies and the company that you and I work for is one of them. Yeah, that's true. I feel very lucky to to be part of a company that has like anti-bullying policies such as that. You know, my sister's in HR, so she's, you know, she's always one to, to give a lot of advice to me when I've got questions. But, you know, the HR department where we work are incredibly supportive and we have the correct policies in place that are actually implemented and followed. It's okay to have an anti-bullying policy, um, but you actually need to implement it and it needs to be followed um, when there is bullying in, you know, when there is bullying taking place. Yeah, absolutely. Because as we were saying way back in the beginning, um, you know, back in the days when I was being bullied in school, and there wasn't really a plan as to how that would shake out. And you know, what would happen after it was identified that this was bullying? um, You know, because of that, nothing happened. And because of that, the bullying continued. And that's a very vicious circle. Um, So you're right, it's one thing to have a plan. It's another thing that it needs to be executed effectively. And you need to have a team of people who are on board with that plan and make sure it's seen through. Um, Because otherwise, you might as well not have a plan. Oh, absolutely. We have that plan um, in the UK, and it's it's uh, it's it's a plan that I myself have have had to implement um, in in my time in in the team, um, and it's one that is effective, and it's um, it, it's it's one way you know we've got as I said the HR team are incredibly supportive, um, and um, I think one of the best that I've worked with in my you know sixteen year career. So. Um, it's just a pity that, you know, more companies out there, more corporate out there don't have those um, those policies in place, but also implemented properly, uh, all those support uh, networks with, within their HR department. Um, so that, that, is, that is an issue I think that, you know, um, a, lot of, a lot of companies face, a lot of people face when, when they do experience bullying in the workplace. Um, so... Finally, I just wanted to ask you, you know, we've spoken a lot about your experiences and I'll say it again, I think you're an incredible uh, young man who's come through um, some some pretty vicious bullying experiences. Um, I can say on record, you are very good at your job. I know because I, I do work in the same department as you. Um, and I, um, I want to know what, if you could give any of the listeners some advice on what to do if they're being bullied. What would you tell them? If I were to give one piece of advice, he says, in the style of Baz and sunscreen, it would probably be to make sure that if you're being bullied, it doesn't matter who it's by, it doesn't matter how you rationalize it to yourself, because you may even tell yourself at times, actually, this isn't bullying. Actually, maybe it's just me. You may even try to convince yourself that ultimately you deserve something like this. I know because I've been through it and I've been there, man. It sucks. Um, always reach out to someone and tell them. And I, when I say tell them, I don't mean give them a light kind of touch story. I mean, tell them everything. Make sure it's someone you trust, obviously, because you don't want to go pouring your heart out to someone who's going to maybe even bully you further. Believe me, I've been there too. Um, make sure it's someone you trust and tell them everything. And if they tell you that it's not okay, believe them. If you have an HR department and they say to you, these actions aren't okay, believe them. They're not okay. And you have every right to feel that they're not okay. 
And if you decide that on the back of that, you want to take action, do it. If you decide that actually you don't have the strength to do it, tell them that and make sure that they support you. That would probably be the most pivotal thing that I've learned from all of the experiences that I've had, not just the individual pockets. That is fantastic advice. So thank you very much for your time, Mike. As I said, it's been wonderful talking to you and and understanding your experiences, and I really appreciate it. And good luck going forward. (laughs) Thank you very much. It's been very nice to be here. Thanks for uh, inviting me down. It's a pleasure. Robert's Wish is an online community against bullying for both youth and parents. Visit www.robertswish.org. Thank you.